My Mother, The Person and the Patient is an original podcast written and hosted by me, Fartou Makuso. This podcast is about my mother, Timira Abdusamid Muhammad, Ayaya we call her, and that's the Somali word for grandmother, and her great-grandchildren call her Ayaya too, and that is their way of saying great-grandmother. As you may know, caregiving is a demanding responsibility both physically and emotionally. Not that I'm complaining to be a caregiver to my mother. I do it willingly and happily, and I see it as though I'm only returning the favor. But the fact remains, it is a demanding responsibility, one which I take very seriously. And this past week, how demanding it is, came very clear to me. As you will have heard how I lost my daughter to murder late May of this year, 2023, and things are better some days and they're more difficult in other days. So this past week, several things happened. The first thing is we received the dates for the preliminary hearing next year, early 2024. So that was something that kind of brought the reality a little closer. And the second thing was, I went back to work on Tuesday, October the 10th. The last time I worked was Friday, June the 3rd, and my daughter's husband was arrested and charged with her murder on the 5th. So I didn't work the rest of June, which was the end of that school year, and I didn't go back when the school started in September. So the third point was that my daughter just finished her degree before her tragic murder, and her graduation was scheduled this October 12th at the University of Windsor's fall convocation. So this past week, I had those three things. On the 10th, I went back to work after being off for four months. On the 12th, we had two things going on. We had my daughter getting her diploma posthumously and us getting the dates for the preliminary hearing. My youngest daughter accepted the degree and walked across the stage to take those final steps that her sister was deprived of taking. And I'm forever grateful to her and to the university for allowing to do that. But my son, for example, who lives in the States and works there and couldn't make it to the graduation, told me that he had split screens. One of the screens was the court hearing that he had joined through Zoom to hear those dates, and the other screen was the link to watch the graduation. He said that really rattled him to have those two things. So I had these three things happening all within this week, starting the 10th to the 12th. And 
I really felt not only emotion, but felt physically the pain. When we parked the car and walked to the sports complex where the ceremony was being held, and outside half an hour before the actual event began, there were all these families, parents, graduates, grandparents, friends, family members mulling about taking pictures, giving flowers, giving hugs. And that made it very clear, brought it to the fore for all of us walking up there, what we have been deprived as a family. It was like when you are on a plane and you hit turbulence, you feel your stomach dropping. It was like that for me. So it was like something hit me so hard. I had to catch my breath. I lost my breath for a second there. But at the same time, I needed to keep it together, at least physically, to be a caregiver to my mother because she deserves nothing less than that. But I found physically tired moving my mother around, which is something that I do every day, all day. I found it was taking so much energy out of me to just do the slightest thing for my mother to get her in and out of bed, to get her in and out of the shower. So I had all those challenges. And I had to continue to remind myself, take one step at a time, give myself breaks, give myself the chance to breathe, to be kind to myself and accept I might not be as swift and as strong as I am other times, and that is okay. It's not like I'm not being a caregiver to my mother, but I might be just a little bit slower on it as I gather enough energy to tend to my grieving part and at the same time to tend to my caregiver part and accept both are together, both are part of me and both are within me. And I have to be kind to myself to accept the limitations that happen to my caregiving because of the grieving and the limitation that happens to my ability to grieve because of my need to be a caregiver and be ready for that. And accepting the two existing simultaneously and within me has made all the difference. When you listen to how we arrived at my mother's diagnosis and what followed, it's so easy to see her just as the patient, to see her as nothing more than the disease that reduced her to shell of her old self. But I want also to tell you about my mother, the person, the fierce woman that told her stories unapologetically, celebrating the beautiful parts and harsh realities equally. I want to share with you the stories she told us about her life as a girl growing up in a small village, the tales that marked her adulthood. I want to share with you all her losses and the ultimate winnings. The following chapter is one of those stories reconstructed from my childhood memory. Four weeks had passed since the day Layla started the bathroom usage schedule and Timira had lost her spots many times. She had spoken to Layla about it 
three times, but dad had done nothing for her. Tamira couldn't complain to her husband about the injustice she'd faced without risking him going to the captain and complaining. She became alert, watched all around her, waiting for something else to come. It was the beginning of the fifth week that Tamira came upon a cluster of wives standing between the homes and the mess hall. She'd overheard them speak quietly before without knowing what they'd said, but that day was different. The words that moved between them, like the sound of the machine gun the soldiers used for practice, reached Timiro as she approached them. Their furtive glances that appeared at her sight stayed with them now. They didn't scatter like the shadow that dissipated under the hot African sun like they had done before. The woman who gathered in small group, Layla among them, seemed to speak loudly today, with the sharp end of their words, like the knives she'd cleaned in the slaughterhouse pierced her soul. Why did Muhammad even marry her? A woman standing across from Layla asked that question. Timira walked faster now. Her children on either side of her, the sound of their words burned her ears. She prayed they would remain in place until she reached them. Layla saw her coming. They locked gaze in a fraction of a second, and Timiro feared she'd lost the opportunity to face them, the chance to let them know she'd seen them. To Timiro's surprise, Layla responded. Because he had no dowry, she spoke louder than she needed, as if she intended for Timiro to overhear. The only option was to wed this one. Layla's chin jutted toward Timiro, twice divorced and from Langab tribe, no less. Their lips continued to move, but Timiro heard nothing after that. That was enough to set her entire body aflame. How could they think she was from a lesser tribe? Her elder was concerned about Muhammad's identity, was he not? The idea that she'd brought a man not verified by the elder was viewed as abhorrent by her elder. A man without a father or elder to vouch for him created conflict that almost derailed her nuptials. And now, these women are talking about her as if she were from the wrong end of the tribal ladder. Unmeasurable rage filled her. She quickened her steps, pulling her children along. Timira wanted to move faster, to get to Layla, to confront her about her tribe. She would set them straight. Her father's lesson in reciting her tribal lineage rushed to her mind. Timira, Abdisamid, Muhammad, Muhammad Farah, Farah Warsameh. She started to say the names aloud, her tongue ready to throw the words at Layla and her followers until they nodded in agreement, conceding to the high status of her tribe. She was only a few feet away from them when a jeep carrying half a dozen soldiers, rifles slung over their shoulders, zoomed between her and the woman. Bloom of dust rose as the tides rubbed against the brown earth. Timira closed her eyes to shield 
Her vision, by the time she opened her eyes after the vehicle passed, Layla and the others were entering the mess hall, chatting with other wives who joined them. Overcome by anger and disappointment, Timira knew she couldn't go inside. She couldn't face Layla and the others and keep her mouth shut, just as much as she couldn't afford to speak in front of the entire military base, men, women, and children, in the middle of supper. She turned around and took her children back. Koya, why are we going back? Rukuya asked. I am hungry. I have food for you. She pulled her children. At home, I have food. She forced them to walk fast. Timira fed the children with some leftovers and sent them to bed much earlier than before. She needed the time to think. This was her only chance. She needed to wipe the lines of worry that covered her face before her husband arrived home from his patrol duty. She couldn't allow him to see her after she'd insisted she would take care of it. Timira sat alone her small brick, the moon casting long silver rays through the darkening night. She stared out the window. She knew she was on the cusp of exploding. She needed to do something before the fire that filled her inside engulfed her and those around her. I must do something, she spoke aloud to herself and fast. My mother, the person and the patient, can be found in Amazon Music, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to follow, like, and share, and join me next week as I share with you another episode of my mother's journey as both the person and the patient. Thank you.